Bam. Ready? Yeah, let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 31 of Go, Garrett, go. <laughs> Hang on to yet. And today we have got an encore performance of Professor Terry Lee. Daddy, you're a naughty boy. <laughs> These days, oh, you're a turkey, you. Derek. <laughs> get away from it. Not that blokes haven't tried. If you're not a father, you've got a father. You're a son of a dad or a daughter of a bloke. But either way, being a dad is no picnic. The fear, the anger, the confusion, and well, the love, of course. <laughs> oh. Derek Myers and Dan Lee, together with their special guests, are here to share the highs and lows, the joys and the agony of being a modern dad. But most of all, to let you know that you're not alone. I gave Derek <clears throat> a little looped recording of that that introduction song, and he uh, he plays it in the morning to get himself jazzed up to do good fathering, don't you, Derek? When you're sitting on the toilet, I you know what I do. <laughs> That's yeah, not that, the story, by the way. That I was that is. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big win. I do listen to that once mm. a week just before mm. we start this show, and it vibes me up. Jazzes you up, yeah. It jazzes mm. me right up. I'm fired. Mm. Hello, far, Dad. How far does it get you? Well, get at least to the end of the toilet experience. <laughs> Gets him through his first turn of the day. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we're at a highbrow beginning. Yeah, well, how far can you get as a father? Well, exactly. Let's, Who knows? We're about to find out. Well, you can tell us. <laughs> I'm going you, to. You were just referred to as Professor Terry Lee. Exactly. Mm. And Well, that was my informal title. Yeah. And your father, Terry Lee, to me. So which well, is the more important title? Well, exactly. Mm. It, it just depends. <laughs> yeah. What sort of impact, what sort of influence I'm seeking to exert. <laughs> He's doing his traditional enigmatic <laughs> I love it. I love it. platitudes at the beginning. Yeah. You go, oh, what's he talking about? Uh, well, sometimes, Dan, you needed a little professing. Mm, true. Um, and sometimes you needed a little um, f- nurturing. Yes. So it depended whether you needed a little more professing or nurturing as to what was appropriate at the time. Because as you know, mm. good fathers have to have a repertoire of skills, yeah. strategies and techniques. Yep. Because a, a, a nice long stick, a shorter stick, more of a paddle for developing. We don't uh, care about the size of the stick as long as <laughs> it sticks. Yeah, so right. it's the influence sticks mm. because it's all about implanting the seed of knowledge and self-confidence, mm. but also implanting the seed of, how would you describe it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> developing the seed of... Um, Tolerating one's father's uh, uh, instructions and jokes. That's a, that's a very important thing to learn, and I'm teaching my son that already, how to well, how to absorb all the, the, the knowledge that I'm giving to him, imparting. Great. Um, and it's true, a good a good lashing with a stick does help them absorb the information, I find. No, I, I don't know why I say it, because you never hit us with a stick. I just, for some reason, I find it amusing. Uh, just think of because you're you're a little bastard because you're torturing your dad. He's sitting. Oh, no. here, he's a professor of psychology and oh, well, like no, that. that's that's okay. But in terms, in no, terms, very kind and civil. But in in terms of nursery rhymes, talking about that, their favourite nursery rhyme was uh, the Pogue's second um, <laughs> LP, which was rum, sodomy, and the lash. Yeah, and I think that's what's come into them. Yeah. I've been spat on and shat on and, <laughs> and raped and abused. Oh, those album. were the lyrics of um, Dirty Old Town, weren't they? That I used no, to they weren't to the lyrics child. of Dirty Old Town. Well, no. 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 
I no. know that I am dying and I wish I could beg no. for some money to take me from the old main drag. The, the old, old main, main drag. Main drag. Mm. That yeah. was my favourite song as a free five-year-old. No, no, that was much later. We were much older when we got into the Pogues, surely. Yeah, yeah definitely. It was. Fairy it tale was. of New York. You know, Dad's got um, lyrics on the wall at his house. So there's a chalkboard near the din- dinner tables and we have family events. So the music that we're going to sing tonight. Yeah. So he'll put the lyrics you know, to songs and then we all oh, have to sing and eat. Do you know what? I, this is huge for me, this this notion. <laughs> I went to I went to Confest in, in so many ways. I went to Confest back in the day. I just saw and there was this bloke with a deep voice. That who used to get people to walk around in circles and loads of people called the Spontaneous Choir. I was like, okay, it's a hippie and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I'll never forget the feeling mm. of being in this group singing mm. thing. And it goes on and on and and I, I, I get really emotional mm. about it because we need to do it. Even no, violent thugs in England, mm. they all get together and sing and they sing do. and sing. If if AFL, the, the, there's a fight against uh, within the fans of – Soccer type songs, mm. but I tell you what, when they start, mm. they'll get addicted to it. There's nothing like a stirring rendition of Men of Harlech amongst a Welsh Celtic crowd, yeah, mm. oh, or even amazing. Westering Home. It rouses them to well, to violence, let's face it. No, 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 solidarity, unity, solidarity, blah blah blah. Well, can I, can I bore you with a slightly maybe long story about? My evening, three three evenings ago. Is that a genuine request for permission, or you're <laughs> yes, just because I've, I've, no, I've got the knobs, I can turn you down and just keep talking. Doesn't well, okay. just keep in mind, I've got my anecdote to tell as well. Yeah, exactly. We've got room for anecdotes. That's right. right. But but on that exact topic, and, the, mm-hmm. and I. So the other the other night, my son sleeps in a top bunk, and my daughter sleeps in a sort of a offset bottom bunk. Right, so she's not directly underneath. Mm-hmm. So she's uh, her mm-hmm. face is open to the ceiling, and they're, and they're far too old to be in a room together now. But there's nothing more, nothing much I can do about that. That's life. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We've got a roof, mm. and um, so I'm. He's easier on my old back because I can just stand there and talk to him and perhaps kiss him goodnight or whatever. And I, and I said, oh, can I sing? No, I started singing the Skyboat song, right? Oh, great song. Yeah, let's do it. Ready? Mm. Speed Bonnie Bow. Like a bird on, on the wing. Onward the, the sailors, sailors cry. Day 17. We're stuck in the street. <laughs> and the men are singing. <laughs> We're not Welsh, but. Uh, well, and Bonnie Prince Charlie promised to return. Yeah. But he never did. Yeah. So, so. Th- this was the song that we put the kids to sleep when they were just babies. How long did it take to get them to go to sleep? <laughs> they never really went to sleep, but they still haven't been to sleep. But, but, but my um, daughter went, oh, don't sing that song. I go, what? This is the song. You, this is the song. You've been getting this sang at you since you were born mm-hmm. and before. Mm-hmm. And she goes, it makes me sad. And, and apparently when she was little she developed a – a storyline to the thing that involved me fucking off in a boat, oh. and not coming back. Right? She thought I was a sweet body prince. She thought you were singing to her. I'm going to leave you soon, I'm, and I'm never going to come back. <laughs> what are the, and, and when I'm in the car and I say, "Kids, any minute, I'm just going to, 
I'm gonna just gonna fuck off to Queensland and never come back. They don't believe me. Right, <laughs> What's right. wrong with that? Anyway, so she said no. I said, oh come on, all right. Um, don't be sad. Uh, let me sing it. And she goes, <laughs> no. I went, all right, don't worry about it. And then she goes, go on then, sing it. So I started singing it. <coughs> I started singing this song. She goes, she said, can I sing it? Uh-huh. And then she goes. I said, yeah, of course, go for it. And then I got my phone out of my pocket, great parenting, mm-hmm. and started, started watching Google Kelly. the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did watch a bit of Netflix while I was here. Got, Carry on. Google the lyrics. This is where it links back mm-hmm. to what you did, preparation, and <laughs> gave us so much you know, further to go. And she's banging it out. I'm banging it out. We had a children's Welsh choir sitting in the bedroom at bedtime. Uh, Well, it wasn't a Welsh choir. That was a Scottish choir. Yeah, true. And even Boy Wonder started singing. Fantastic. And Boy Wonder, he won't sing. He's like, no, Nick off. He's preparing for teens. And it was just the most magnificent thing. And it brought me back to the hippie choir at Confest. Fantastic. The soccer, the footy, every time. And just to finish up. And it's a topic that I've just been dealing with right then. Every year at Christmas, I used to have a party here with, you know, one, one to 200 people in here. And I would call it the karaoke by candlelight. And I had a compulsory um, group ma- karaoke. Hmm. So I'd hand out sheets mm-hmm. of lyrics Great. to everyone that was at the party and then mm-hmm. a candle, mm-hmm. right? So everyone would stand there. So there was a song. Two songs in the end because everyone loved it, <clears throat> and and I'd be at the front getting attention, like mm-hmm. massing attention, enough mm. for a whole year, mm. and and me and my wife would be at the front, and and we would the whole everyone at the in the whole room would bang out Hell's Bells or mm-hmm. uh, Piano Man or mm-hmm. uh, some Guns and Roses, some mm-hmm. uh, Def Leppard, whatever it was that year. And all year people go, what's the song this year? What's the song? Yeah. And everyone would just be rushing off this thing because it was such an icebreaker. Wow. And and then from then on, everyone had already been, early on in the night, everyone had already been part of this group. Yeah. Absolutely love it. So, sorry, I was just it triggered by people. your mm. preparation mm. is everything. And, is and, and music we know just, just creates neuro, um, you know, what, what do you call it, uh, neurotransmitters, you know. It, it fills your... M- music you know. in the brain is very close to the emotional centre. Yeah, right. So that's why music has the capacity to create great feeling and emotion. But I was thinking you could actually take that to the next step now with the Skyboat song since you've got that emotional sense of the song and create the dream. And the dream would be when we go to the Isle of Skye. So Uh, an expedition to Skye mm. may not be a short term, may be a long term, but we need to go to Skye. Mm. So we can see the waves, get the feel for Bonnie, Prince Charlie as he was fleeing. You could even take them to Culloden, the north of Scotland, the final victory of the English armies over his army. Be perfect. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. It could be a family project for how long would it take you to actually organise to get them to the Isle of Skye? Is that a one year, five year, ten year? We haven't got a pot to piss in. 
20 it. years? But we'll do it. No, we'll do it. No, Long we'll definitely do it. But well, see, I think it should. See, see um, immigrants for years have been going, one day we'll go back home. So it doesn't matter if it's long in the distance. Oh, my can... daughter asked me. She goes, <laughs> no, it's a dream. To Scotland. It's she, a dream. It's a dream. It doesn't have to happen. A dream. Mm. So the dream about it is for Kit fathering. It's planting, embedding the seed mm. of the dream of yeah. what might be of yeah. the mystery, the magic of what we could do. But the Isle of Skye is such a beautiful island. Mm. So that, that segues beautifully into my um, gloat anecdote. So mm. I um, some six months ago, I took Sammy round the canal near where in our wood, and mm-hmm. there's trees all around there, lots of different native trees, and we collected the seed pods. And I said to him, "We're going to we're going to collect these seeds and grow grow the trees." So we collected the seed pods, we dried them out, got the seeds, shook them out of the pods. I put them in the potting mix. We they sprouted, then we repotted them into bigger pots, and then they recently got to about uh, you know two foot high, three foot high. And then I said to him, "Now we go do our gorilla greening." So I got him to put them all in a in a trolley like a, a push car of lunars. And I said, we've got to be very quiet about this because you're not technically allowed to do this. And we wheeled it out to the canal and took shovels. And a torch. And, and, well, we should have done it at night. but mm. And I said, listen, we, we're just going to plant these trees back into the, the, the ground. So we planted maybe 10 or 15 eucalypts and casuarina. I was going to say this lovely... <laughs> Yeah, willow and uh, all the yeah, yeah, introduced toxic. one. Yeah. No, 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 these are all natives. And then, um, and I said to him, and, and coincidentally, he'd just been to the in that that uh, climate rally in the city yep. with Missy. And then I said, "Well, see, this is what we can do. We just got to plant trees, mm. and we grew these. The fact that we'd done the whole process from seed right round to a." established kind of tree in a pot yeah. and then planted them all and then we went and got the watering can and, and watered them in. And it was just a great cycle of stuff to show him. Mm. And he wasn't – I mean, he enjoyed the whole – the secretness of it, the, the slightly naughtiness of it. And uh, But I reckon that'll just – you know, that, that'll go into his um, – Definitely. Uh, understanding over time, you know, yeah. and then maybe those trees will still be there in 20 years. You can well, have a look at them. But I was thinking about, you know, <laughs> the implicit message in that, the rationale. Mm. Why are we doing The reason we're doing this is because before we wonder about what they should do, it's mm. what can I do. Yeah, exactly. So it comes in, well, you can actually Proactive. make a difference in your life by what you choose to do. So if mm. you plant a tree, don't worry about whether or not we should plant a million you have control over yeah. that. We don't have to worry about whether we get permission to do it or whether we mm. – like the worst case scenario is the council pull them out. Mm. But, mm. I mean, they, they don't know what's going on. But but it's the message within the parable yeah. in the yeah. story that actually comes in about social personal responsibility. Yep, personal responsibility just and proactive. Just do it. Just, and, just do stuff. And not to mention I did – I went and did something with me dad mm. that yeah, yeah. isn't just what ah. you're meant to do and it's not a – you know, a that, structured thing at well, kinder nice. or sport. And it came full it's a decision. cycle. Mm. Like yeah. we, we, we'd be doing all these steps yeah. with the intention of six months down the track having this mm. this covert planting operation. Mm. Yeah. So he gets to see that. And the fact that we went and literally just collected these things, it's no money, no nothing, just a gradual, and one day, no effort. One day you might have emperor gum moths in cocoons hanging off those trees. Right. And then you could see that. Right. 
the chrysalis, the transformation into the butterfly. Well, there. And now this was something we got because last this time Dad big. was here, we talked about the going to the country. And the, the, the greatest thing for me about that experience was getting an understanding of all that stuff so that I have the ability to do this for Sammy. Yes. I know the basics of how to kind of propagate a, a tree from a seed. I mean, it's all pretty simple. It's just most people in the city, I suppose, just don't ever get exposed to it. Um, but that was a great a great mm. thing to have had that mm. that sense of the connectedness and the sight. And I thought, well, I, I can do that with him. As you said, it's a thing that we do together. Yeah. And, you know, you know he'll probably get lost in computer games. At some point, yeah. But but at least he's. Had, but either way, it doesn't matter. These little experiences. Yeah, they're ex- hmm. they're sort of foundational things that may or may not come back. But he has to get but, lost in computer games as well because that's the yeah. world he's growing up in. Yeah, yeah. So you, the issue is how do you deal with that? Yeah. Not how you deal with it. How does he deal with that? Mm. How does he actually learn to live in and not get lost completely? Yeah, but yeah. just in the moment. And that stuff's <clears> hard, but. You know, I suppose you, you help them to be selective or, or yeah. educated in what they do. Or Well, you create the context for them to be able to take the lessons themselves, mm. you know. Yeah. No one will work as hard for your dream as they will for their dream. Yeah, true. Yeah. So when you find the thing the kid wants to do, you haven't got a motivational problem. But when you yeah. want them to do something more than they want to do it, then you've got a motivational You've got to figure out whose problem is this. Well, that's, so there's a skill in, in just being able to notice what they're naturally excited by and inclined towards so that you can then provide the part, you know, give them a clear path to it. Yeah. And then you don't, as you say, you don't need to motivate them then. They're just going to go, hmm. yeah. Well, but getting back to that environment thing, this is, a, this is a thing. When did you, when did you get your professorship? Like is this an ongoing thing or was it back in the day? Oh, I've been uh, on and off right. over time working at universities yep, and yep, um, yep. working at business schools. So I, yeah. Or the PhD. All of that stuff through yep. uh, a long history of doing things. Um, so I spent, uh, as I said to you last time, so my first area of, uh, I went to university to study politics and sociology and took uh, psychology as a minor as a subject in the first year. Over time, the politics subsided and the psychology increased in interest. So yeah. I got was very interested in developmental psychology, which, which is the psychology of development, which is about essentially we used to focus on development as something for children, how children learn. What we're trying to shift <laughs> the focus to now is saying, look, it's obviously the most evident period of learning in a human growth and development is the ages that you're talking about from from a year old to 12 years old. You can't stop them learning. Mm. Uh, so Dan's little Luna is learning to walk. Well, you can't stop her walking and running. I mean, mm. that's what her body's propelling her to do. You can try. <laughs> you can try to constrain. But now she can't use judgment, of course, about danger, but she can get excited about possibility. Mm. What we're trying to expand that to is what we what they call lifelong learning. is So that what we've had is that people tended to plateau in their learning through the school years where conformity... Uh, is this getting a bit too serious too soon for no, you? No, You're okay? Yeah, yeah, This yeah. is good. I just – I didn't want you distracted, Derek. You okay? No, 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 Brian. Oh, this is good. <laughs> I was so excited I was putting the yeah, uh, I extra recording you. on. I saw that. Yeah, just keep focused. <laughs> 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 I 
was a terrible knob twiddler. Oh, I'm such a bad. So the interesting. Like about an lecture theatre of having a cigarette. <laughs> um, if this was a knowledge-based discussion, then I could give you the multiple choice test at the end to see how much knowledge you retained. Yeah. Now, knowledge and learning are fundamentally two different processes, as you understand. Learning is the application of knowledge and change in behaviour. But we can't test that. We can test the knowledge. That, anyway, so we're not going to do that. Yeah. But so people, kids used to plateau in their learning as they drive to conform and get the right answer kicked in. Then we got the winners God. and losers, those who got the right answer, those who – and so if you never got the right answer, then the whole impact came in is that I'm not – capable and all that. So school uh, curtails their learning. Well, c school focuses on knowledge and not on learning. Yeah. So Jesus. That's all right. I mean, the thing is because you can assess knowledge. And look, there is knowledge becomes the basis for learning. Yeah. The issue about learning is of all the things I know, what should I apply to my life and what should I apply to improve be more effective behaviour? So we don't apply all the knowledge we have. We all know we should. We know we ought to, you know, all that stuff. The issue is how do you transfer, translate the knowledge into learning? So the learning is, and then the judgment about, well, I can't learn everything because I haven't got the bandwidth for that. At my age, my stage, what are the things I need to learn to be better at? Which of the knowledge do I want to start applying? Yep. So. Mm. So we start off with information, which is data, which is being informed about the world. Now, in my generation growing up, information was hard to get because you had to read the encyclopedia to be informed. Mm. Whereas these days, information is not a problem. We have more information than we can even deal with. We're going to slow it down a bit. So fact. now we're trying mm. to now get more, um, more disciplined around about, well, what information do I want to translate into knowledge? or know-how, which I know how to use the information in order to be more effective. But then we don't want to lose the serendipity of, you know, when you used to read those old journals and magazines and all that stuff, you'd come across articles, wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. You hadn't deliberately sought it, but you actually find this serendipitous learning, which is incidental. Wow. So if you, if you got too disciplined in your search for knowledge then you would actually ignore some of the other stuff and all of that. Well, so you see that with music most of all. When mm. did the transition to digital from from DVD, uh, sorry, CDs and vinyl is that you suddenly have a contraption with every song ever written in it and you don't listen to any of it because yeah. there's none of that serendipitous kind of, mm. I got this album and I, yeah. I, I noticed another one in a record yeah. shop, so, you know, all that. You're not going to discover Shine On You Crazy Diamond Part 7. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, and because you're going to you just listen yeah. to Wish You Were Here. And you're yeah, going to so shut down on your curiosity. <laughs> yeah. So the curiosity. We don't operate like that. We don't operate with just a list that's yeah. dispassionate. And mm. it's, it's narrative. We need a narrative to our learning. So, you know, learning step. So, so the, you're talking about learning. The difference between the old days and now is in the old days, you'd learn how to find information as much as you can. Yeah. And these days, you learn how to discern what information to load your brain up with. It's trying to use more judgment about yeah. what do I need to know more about, therefore what have I got the bandwidth, the discipline and the intent to apply now yep. into change in behaviour. So ultimately, so if when a child is born 
there's the seed of potential implanted in the kid. So all of us are born with the seed of potential and the purpose of fathering parenting is to play a role in the first, well, used to be 16, (laughs) then they'd leave home. It's been 10, 20, 30 years in helping that seed to actually more fully develop so that the young the person develops more of their potential the main, the purpose of life is to fulfill your potential yeah and so it's and to breed. help and breed depends uh, on how you look at it well yeah. no, that's life's longing Biological. that's life's longing for itself yeah. you know so it's like this nature requires species to replicate you don't have much control over your breeding it's you know these are the impulses <laughs> yeah. implanted by nature mm. so um, you know all that stuff anyway yeah. so what I, what we try to do then is be a little more selective in what we need to but what we did was we shut down so people got into a job and then they did the same job for 30 years mm, so we playing. actually del- well, we didn't it wasn't our intent in organizations to dumb people down but s- many of the jobs were so repetitious and not intrinsically rewarding that you had to dumb yourself down in order to be the cog in the big machine. Yeah. So what that did is shut down learning and development. Then we brought about huge amounts of change in organisations and started beating them up because they weren't flexible and adaptable. So well, it makes it easier then. It's great for consumerism hmm. because in order to alleviate their daily existence, you know, it's no not hard to sell people alcohol. It's not hard to sell them dreams of jet skis and holidays when their day-to-day is so unfulfilling, you know what I mean? It's very good for that sort of consumerism. I mean, that's changing, obviously. people. Are- well, if you believe that, it, that there are some basic needs and intrinsic drives within a kid, you know. We know that the first stage of life, first 12 months, is all about basic trust. Uh, am I safe? Uh, am, I, am, am I being cared for? Da, 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 all that. Do these clowns know what they're doing kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing is you've got to, I mean, while you're sitting on the cloud up there, the, the best thing would be to select the parents that you get born to, wouldn't it? Mm. Because you can really end up in, in terrible circumstances. <laughs> yeah. So, or you can end up in a great circumstance. So, yes, do they know it? But if the intrinsic needs, if development and learning and growth and potential is part of an intrinsic human drive, then what we've got to do is stop shutting it down and allow that to flow. Because yeah. I believe, and you see it with children, is you can't stop them learning. They want to climb, they want to push back, they want to rebel, they want to jump, they want to do all sorts of stuff. But as they get older and become more socialised and become more um, socialised into doing the right thing, mm-hmm. then what they do is shut down some of that stuff. And if you, then in the old days, boring, repetitious jobs, by the end of that, all they wanted to do then was go and play golf for the rest of their life. Well, what sort of life's that? Well, it's like that idea of, of life, of reaching a point where life's easy, yeah. being a goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's and, and rather than it being um, wanting it to keep mm-hmm. getting more interesting, it's just about being able to stop but, the suffering or something. Like. Well, but isn't isn't the easiest thing in life to be self-sustaining? Yeah. Isn't the easiest thing in life to have the wonder of, you know, to be able to walk on the beach, to be able to sit, look at a tree, plant a tree, be in your garden, all of those things. So they'd be pretty easy. What we've tried to do is fill our lives with distraction. Yeah. 
So that well, that's where all this mental illness is coming from. And I was saying to you in the car, like at the moment, because we need now to curate the knowledge that's pouring through at us mm-hmm. to kids as well through social media, through what, like it's just just a bombardment of information. The the, the marketing and advertising people are onto that. Like, mm. and and if we don't start to do it, like kids just get indoctrinated into stuff that's true. Like their heads can be just filled with all this information off Facebook or from games or what, or not even, I don't want to pick on games, but, um, or just, just information that's, that's a dead end hmm. that doesn't encourage continu- continual sort of learning and in- interest. And well, I would think that the games the kids want to get involved with is no more of a dead end than mature age people wanting to play golf all day. No, no, well, exactly. And hmm. then there's a lot of games too that are creative, like where you've got to progress through and a mate of mine was talking about doing minecraft with his kids because you know minecraft is so banal in its it's like it's it's basically lego in a in a computer game minecraft's getting a bit quite a positive it's had had a bit of a positive vibe i I like to watch it as someone who has been felt that that Mm. Oh, yeah. Sting of, of gaming <laughs> addiction mm. a little bit. Back in the 90s, I had a shop, and I've said it before on the show. Mm. I had a shop and I set two computers up, and my friend would come around and we'd be playing a game, and you'd be facing the window, and my clients would walk in, and I had clients that would spend anywhere between two hundred and twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, and they'd walk in, and you'd feel like, fuck off. You'd go, oh, <laughs> fuck off. You know, in your head, you go, oh, in the middle of this go thing. away. I'm right in the middle of doing this. It's mm. like, hang on a minute, this is my job, my career, mm. my creativity. And I'm, so I felt that. Obviously, it didn't get the better of me because I was quite, quite old. My brother and I were both massively, instantly addicted to Space Invaders. We queued up all weekend at the fish and chip shop, mm. right? But, but I, I've got, I feel it's given me a tool of observation and empathy and everything right. for when my son's in that world. Mm-hmm. But I also get a, a kick maybe, schadenfreude or whatever, of watching other parents trying to justify this or justify that. Oh, that's nice. You know, Fortnite got a huge break in, a massive breakthrough into the kids thing. And that that really is the exact same idea of running around shooting mm. and killing the others. Mm. But that's that's the what mind. it is, but it's with rainbows. Someone said, oh, Fortnite, <laughs> it's just doom with unicorns, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Rainbows, and they've glammed it up, and parents are going, oh, that looks nice. The kids are all dancing. They had all these dances, and that was great, and it was a real – it wasn't a kid trap. Well, they it, was a tra- yeah. it was a parent trap. It was a parent trap. But Minecraft actually is it, – it's still on a screen. Well, it has all those deadly things about the screen. We were talking about how that, that mi- Minecraft is – there's to just um, write off everything that's on a screen is not going to help. But Minecraft is very. No it's about act- senses. well, you, if you don't build stuff and use your creativity in the game, there's nothing to do because yeah. the whole game is about in making a world out of and and because the the images, the graphics in old terminology, are so banal and blocky, it can't be kind of thrilling in the way other games are with all their flashy yeah. kind of stuff. Mm. And he plays it with his kids. <laughs> He, you know, but see, I remember watching. I do this with Sammy now too. Uh, 
he, he can watch as much TV as he wants if he watches what I want to watch. Because if, you know, he can watch 20 minutes of Peppa Pig, but he can watch as much of what did he think of, Attenborough. What does he think of Dexter? <laughs> uh, yeah. Did he enjoy <laughs> No, no, but I'll watch, I'll watch there's, a, there's a documentary called Stra- One Strange Rock or something on Netflix, which is all about all the incredible natural things mm. in the world and the mm. Amazon mm. And, the, and the water vapour in the air that travels across the planet from the Amazon, blah, blah, blah. Now, he can watch that. I feel like him watching... Watching as much of that as he wants is okay. First of all, he won't because he'll he'll get exhausted. But we talk about it while we're watching it. We discuss it. See, yeah. this is the astronauts talking about this, and we can pause it and talk because yeah. it's not just zoning out with. Good. And but see, I remember doing that with you, watching. Yeah. You know, pe- if you if you are <clears throat> participating with them in some way. Oh, I loved it when I was a kid. We played the the love boat game. So, it, you know, there was a, a huge ashtray in the middle of the coffee table and there was ashtrays everywhere in the house, <laughs> oh, right? But, but the love boat would start <laughs> and everyone would meet. And I guess it came from a cynical joke that we all had that right. everyone knew what, how it was going to pan out. And hmm. that doesn't make you clever. Hmm. So the love boat would start and in the first ads, traditionally it would be 15 minutes, then some ads, we'd all get a bit of paper and write down exactly the outcome. And put put all our paper under the ashtray, and so so it was it felt fun. With at the time, I didn't think what a great parenting thing, rah rah rah. No, no. But it was good. Everyone involved in this shit show, give me an yeah, excuse right. to watch the shit show, maybe. Yeah. But um, it was so a great you're engaging game. with it. It's we're not engaged just, in it a little bit. My, that, that I started that because I was talking about how if we're not careful. The, the the big companies are on to just dumping informa- dumping sort of mindless stuff into kids' heads if they can, mm-hmm. but that but we can we can curate this stuff going in hmm. possibly not, not all the big companies no but so obviously Lego's not <coughs> no but, <clears throat> but but we've got to be careful because the first people to adopt these things and colonise them are going to be but I think both of you just in the anecdotes you just talked about is so that what you have to do as parents is make the alternative more alluring. Yeah. So true. one I mean activity becomes mindless when it's just repetitious lack of engagement. Mm. So what you both were talking about there is we actually used what could be mindless and made it an interesting thing or a game or some fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I would also think that what you need to be able to do is make the alternative outside just as alluring. So as you spoke about, Dan, about planting the trees, make that into something which is bigger than planting a tree. Yeah. But also it's just as interesting by going out and doing that as it is watching television. Well, and look, the allure with those cartoons and stuff is at least partly this kind of narrative that sucks mm. them in. It's all but human sure. beings respond sure. to story. We're all about story. Sure. So with the tree planting, it wasn't mm. just going getting some plants that have mm. no history. Yeah. There's a whole narrative of us. Yeah. Do you remember when we collected those seeds and we dried them out in the yep. window? So so that helps him engage a little bit more because there's a mm. he's part of a a mm. moving story. So if you go back yeah. to the beginnings of that in the 60s, Sesame Street Sesame Street was the first big one, mm. which was designed to be an intervention into making uh, more enriched environments because they knew back then that if you wanted to try and uh, open up education for all children, mm. kids who came from more enriched environments did better than kids where there was no enrichment in the environment. So Sesame Street was supposed to be an intervention that got people interested in or kids interested in, you know, numbers, count, 
right. and yeah. uh, also um, vocab and story and all that. You put so, a grumpy muppet in a bin, and and it's suddenly the streetscape has got this sort of yes. life and narrative. So they started it. They started it for good, mm. which was how do you actually make it engaging and interesting for kids, and have a component which you know the subtext is how do we give how do we try to equalise the opportunities kids have when they start school. Right, right. And so it's the same sort of issue coming through, but they've used it for other other reasons. So I think you're right. I mean, both of you, the parenting job is how do we actually create um, the mystery, the mystique, the knowledge, the curiosity, the learning, the openness and make that interesting. And the engagement. Because there's certain um, TV that is clearly designed to just kind of stun them into submission. It just flashes and blips and you can see them kind of go into a kind of um, Mm. dopamine stupor. Mm -hmm. Like the same way that people in front of pokey machines do. Mm. You you, you check out and Mm. and you're being flushed with dopamine. Mm -hmm. Now, some amount of that's okay. Like we all watch stuff for entertainment, mm. but but you can see them, and you can see when you turn that shit off, they they go into immediate withdrawal. Mm. I mean, it's, it's designed to flash and yeah, spark. I, I ban them I, I, as soon as yeah. it s- stops, and the kids start interacting with each other. They they're not nice to each other. It's yeah, awful. exactly. Mm. And I just say no, no, don't. Just don't talk to each other hmm. for 10 minutes. Right. Hmm. Whereas, All right? Because it just ends up in a massive blowout. Hmm. Yeah. Because they are really little bastards to I each other that, after screens. Yeah, yeah. If I do that documentary watching with him yeah. and we talk about it and stuff, it's much more likely that, first of all, it'll end when he's had enough of it. I think this is than, great. So you can have 10 <clears throat> minutes of watching this. Yes. But at the, the price you have to pay is you've got to have 10 minutes with me there in, That's exactly what it. I say to him. Excellent. That's exactly what I say to him. Good. And then, and then he, fi- and he doesn't want to watch the documentary, but every single time we do it, we talk and it's okay. And at the end of it, he's, he's, he's ready to stop watching it. Great. So you don't have that cut off. And also it more, it's more likely to lead to That's right. him playing something beyond that. So I can transition from the TV over to, hey, mm. let's go get that spaceship out of the Lego box and you yeah. can look at that. So suddenly this Lego spaceship is imbued with a new kind of fascination because mm. it links to that thing. So mm. suddenly that's... That's sort of great. Active TV. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's hard when you don't have time and kids are like he watches crappy TV when well, we well, don't the, have time. But Elwood Canal could be the Amazon River. Well, exactly. This in, in micro. Yeah. You see, I'm but, trying to do that stuff wherever possible. Good. Well, that's the yeah. whole deal, isn't it? How do you make yeah. that more interesting, more alluring, and use it as an opportunity for actually underst- generating understanding and interest and all of that, and and have a relationship. Well, that's right. You've also then have it like you with the singing with the kids. It's, oh, it's a story then a, that you yeah. share. I've got a bad dad version of this where <laughs> it went wrong. <laughs> a couple of times this has happened where Tom's gone at the age of 10 or 11. He's gone, Dad, this is after constant nagging to play Fortnite. He's over Fortnite now, I'm glad. Constant nagging to play Fortnite and, and then – if you if you ask me again, I'm going to take it off the computer forever. That oh kind of God. level of shut the hell up, right? Mount Splashmore level, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then he's gone, Dad. Let's play Fortnite, mm. right? A nice, bright, lovely voice. And I've gone right, gone ape shit, right? right? Basically, just gone raw, full rage, storming around, getting ready to delete it forever right. and stuff like that. Yeah. And he's standing there with a little <laughs> cut. 
two little cardboard guns that he's made. You go, no, I don't mean on the computer. I mean, like, let's <laughs> run around the house, have some fun Ooh, together. I'm going, oh, Jesus. That was close. So I felt so bad. Oh. Now, listen, if that had, if you had been referring to the game, you would have been obligated then to go and delete it. Oh, you have to, yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't, yeah. then you are totally disarmed. Yeah, that gave me a fright, so I don't right. say forever yeah. that much anymore. Man, forever. Oh. Fancy saying for you, forever. But that's that's when you just have gone. Yeah, you've you've seen thinking. the white light. Yeah. <laughs> so now, what about a little story about deferred gratification for children? Yeah. So one of the important things. I've always been excellent at that, by the way. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I'm finding <laughs> out. About to find out. <laughs> well, def- deferred Tantra, uh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, God. Don't bring sting into this. Um, exactly. So deferred gratification. So how do you actually delay instant the reward uh, to a future time is the basis for all saving, is the basis for all study, is the basis for everything, is that it'd be easier just to have fun, but... I'm actually prepared to not have the fun to do the work in order to get a prize into the future. So it's delaying uh. the prize. So Dan and Ben would say to me, um, we want to buy this uh, CD, uh, whatever it was. Well, they wouldn't have had CDs. It must have been a t- record. Yeah. Probably a record. Yeah. yeah. Record. A and slight I, I, scratching. It was, it was probably Pilot singing January or exactly. something. Exactly. Good Scottish band. Yep. Mm. Yeah, very good song. And I would say to them, if you still want it in a month's time, I'll buy it for you. Yeah. So. You bastard. <laughs> what a bastard. Most of the time we knew that it was only because. That's just you being cheap. You know, you know that every, time, every month they're going to be a new thing. No, go on. No. I'm sure there was method. Suddenly it's Shaken Stevens. <laughs> yeah. Pilots forgotten. No, well, it all comes from the marshmallow test. As you, you're aware of the marshmallow test? No. Ooh. Okay. So the marshmallow test, a couple of things. So 1960s piece of research, which ends up being the stimulus for most of the work on emotional intelligence, is about emotional intelligence is the intelligent use of your emotions. So back in the 60s, they didn't understand that then, but they take some. They were trying to work on deferred gratification. So they get uh, two and three year olds, uh, and they would bring the, a kid into the into the room, and they'd put the marshmallow ma- marshmallow on the table, um, and the adult would uh, say, uh, "I'm putting this marshmallow here, mm. and I'm going to go out, leave the room now, and I'm going to get another one." Um, and if you can wait till I come back, you can have both of them. And so then they would put the camera on with the kid. Labradors or children? <laughs> when they, they would then put the camera on the kid and look at the kids who were, uh, oh, the bigger prize would be if I, sorry, they'd say, if you don't eat this one, I'm coming back but, with another one. Well, they do one. say you can eat it if you want. Uh, no, they don't say that. Oh. They, all they say to the kid is, I'm putting this marshmallows for you, yep. but I'm going now to get another one. If you don't eat this one, when I come back, you can have both of them. So the issue is to have a look at the emotional control a kid has to resist impulse. Yeah. So and then they'd watch the kids to sort of see what routines they go through in terms of trying to control. Now some kids just grab the marshmallow and eat it. Mm. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But yeah. other kids would hold on 
for 5, 10, 15 minutes for the return so that they would maximise the price. Mm. So what was that was the first pieces of research into a kid's emotional control because if you thought about it, the, the ultimate prize of getting a bigger prize into the future, how much is that worth to you? So that's became the first lessons in emotional, in deferred gratification. So I can go through the pain in order to get a greater gain. Perhaps I'm they, happy with one marshmallow. Well, they or, went... Or perhaps I should say, perhaps I was happy with one marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Well, you may well have been, but that means that you would be happy with the status quo today, never actually prepared to work hard ah, for the yes, great... True. So they went back then and they reassessed these kids when they were 20, 18, 20 years of age when they were uh, at the end of their schooling. And what they found was that the marshmallow test was more predictive of a success and achievement in life than their IQ. Mm. So this was a better indicator of the, because the whole basis of study, the whole basis of saving, the whole basis of training in order to win the Olympics, the prize, is I'm prepared to go through a whole bunch of stuff. My impulse, or to run a marathon, my impulse would be not to do it because this is hard work. But some kids from the time they were two and three mm. had the emotional control to be able to resist the impulse to just take it. Just eat it. Have they gone back to see them when they're 50? Oh, well, that's To find out it. if they're just waiting on the authorities to bring them the yeah, life yeah. they dreamt of yeah. Yeah. that never came back with the other marshmallow? Well, <laughs> the thing about it was, see, this was a simple piece of research from the 60s. Yeah. A guy called Daniel Goleman then used that as the basis for emotional intelligence yeah. because emotion, when it overrides intellect is about giving way to impulse, which is about if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. Whereas what we are able to do with cerebral cortex, the higher functioning, is to be able to override the emotion in order to, oh, hang on, shut that down, shut that down. No, 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 just stick with it. So we're able to do that. So that became then part of the basis of emotional intelligence, which then became a revolution in psychology but in business, is that it's not, it's not, your, in, it's not your intelligence that will determine how, how effective you are or the life you lead. Mm. In other words, just because you're smart doesn't mean you're going to be happy mm. um, because we know a lot of smart people are hopeless. But your ability to be able to control your emotion as well and use your emotion intelligently. So there's a time to be exuberant and give way to passion. And there's a time to be somber and to be more disciplined in in terms of shutting down the, the impulse. Now, it wasn't as simple as all of that because it was just a, you know, it was a neat little little assessment, but life is more complicated than that. And so you're right. But it ca- became a symbol of that. It became that, a symbol of yeah, it. It made it, on, it made it onto Time magazine as the marshmallow test, yeah. you know, because it, it, it was a huge revelation that they weren't, they weren't conscious when they were doing it, the original stuff with the two-year-olds, about coming back in 20 years' time and, and then correlating it with, with life satisfaction. But... In hindsight, then they were able to take look at the research, and it seemed it, it 
whilst the research is imperfect now because, well, for example, uh, it might also it might also be testing how much confidence you have and how trustworthy adults are. Right. Um, yeah. There's and a how whole strict your parenting is like. There's if, a whole if bunch it's of stuff. How yeah. willing mm. your willingness to steal something mm. is not just how crook you are That's or your right. impulses. It's got to be also That's right. what happened last time you got caught stealing something. Mm. Yeah. One set of parents that would beat you. Is it just fear? Yeah. You're probably just going to go, it's not worth it for a marshmallow. Five, the other, yes. The other <laughs> big takeaway is, you know, the undeniable power of the marshmallow. Mm. You know, this I don't is, like this is marshmallow. Very... <laughs> it makes them go psycho when we're camping at Easter. It's totally <laughs> well, kids Well, we know the parents buy these kids, you know, baby chinos, but all the kid wants is the, the marshmallow. marshmallow. It'd be a lot cheaper to go and buy a packet of marshmallows and just give the kid water and the marshmallow, <laughs> and they'd be happier if they're going to have it anyway. But what I was going to say to you in terms of the more serious implications of that is that one of the really important things in, um, in the socialisation of kids is impulse control. Hmm. You know, just because it seems like a good idea doesn't necessarily mean it is. So when you write that e- email and you press the button send at midnight, it's probably not a good idea to do that. So sometimes you should resist the impulse to think about it in the morning and have a look at the email yeah. you're about to send and totally. see whether it's a good thing. Get your wife to read it. I, I've got a lot of email. I reckon there's a lot of emails that I have that I write. I write most of them now in um in word first, so yep. that there's not even the impulse to Good. press go. Because if it's an so important so all that work I someone, did with you on impulse control on pilot January and that and the records paid off. Well, yeah, or it could have been, it could have been that uh, the um, the lawsuit he got by sending it in. <laughs> no, I think I, I I I got that from banging my head against booze for for you know enough suffering teachers you. It's interesting to hear that what you're saying about the <laughs> IQ being a lot mm. less important than mm. it, than emotional intelligence because mm, yeah. I, as our theme always goes here, what have we learned from our own kind of mm. debacle? Mm. Debacles is you know do we we you, you've got to pass your successes on to your kids, mm. but you've also got to. But being aware of your your failures is going yeah. to be a big part, I reckon, of what we what yeah. we get up to. And I do that. I sit in parent-teacher interviews, knowing exactly what's going on. Hmm. When the when you know when when Tom's got clearly this very very high ability to to achieve in school. Mm-hmm. You know, in year in grade five, he's about middle of form one mm-hmm. or whatever it is in maths and all that. Right. And I'm instead of going yay and oh, bragging about it and stuff like that, I'm like, that's a danger sign to me. Because I've been down that road, and I try and say to the teacher, I say, "Watch him, you know. Let's just forget academia right now, and let's work on ambition and making making him challenged right. and more interested in what he's doing." Well, because I went down that road, and and I just okay. They told me I had a massive IQ, and I did, you know. Because, mm. but IQ, I keep telling people, it's the only thing it gives you is the ability to to do an IQ test Mm. and the occasional brag on a podcast. Mm. Mm -hmm. So all of the training we did back then as psychologists uh, and part of the the main instruments that psychologists have was the ability to do IQ tests, to assess IQ. 
Uh, and that led to the belief that it was intelligence that was going to be the chief determinant of success in life. And so we would assess kids to what sort of class to go into, go into gifted programs, or you're not smart enough, you need to go to another school and all this sort of stuff. So it was the first real challenge around to say, look, you know, there are lots of really smart people who are just arrogant. Mm. Uh, mm. And arrogance is a lack of, a lack of emotional intelligence. And then there's a lot of charismatic bozos in charge of right. <laughs> cults and companies around That's the world. Right. I mean, it, That's it, right. it, it's like with, when you go for a job. Mm. I mean, when they're looking at you in a room, a big part, whether they admit it or not, a mm. big part of it is whether they like you and think they can sure. get along with you and work with you. Sure. If you're really... Hmm. open and easygoing and hmm. in control of yourself, that's going to mean more than your degree. Well, it, you need emotional self-control to turn up. Yeah. You need emotional yeah. self-control to get out of bed. You need emotional self-control in order to do what you need to do today. You yeah. know, to go through all the chores, the jobs and all that sort of stuff. And then you need the emotional self-control to be able to build relationships. So it becomes critically important about that. And so in your example about your son with the maths, it's not about how do we make him, it, it, you know, the capability is not maths capability. It's going to be as much the determination to succeed at something he enjoys and is good at. Yeah. So the determination. So if we could actually extrapolate yeah. that into other things. So we don't want him growing up with splinter skills as in it's all about maths, but if we the maths might be really important. But that also means if we could find the way the things that also we could get him, a, then he could get a broader development sense, you know. So it's trying to understand it's not the obvious, it's the what are the things underneath it that are driving that, you know. So why does he, why does he excel at that? And the, and the hugely successful people are usually the ones who have both things, don't they? Hmm. They have academic brilliance, but they also have this ability with people and socialising and all that. So That's they have right. that sort of – because, there's you know, there's lots of brilliant people that – are totally socially, you know. Well, there's no point. To there's no point being the smartest man in the room, according to Hollywood, is there? No. You know, and Enron and well, all of that. If you can't. If, if that, if you are, well, if if you're morally corrupt, if you're ethically sort of unsound, but also if nobody likes you, right? You exactly. know, and you can't influence yeah. other people. Yeah. So there are broader things at work. That's why the science community always grabs, you know, it's like grabs the Neil deGrasse Tysons and the right. um, Brian Coxes who have the academia and the and, and, and then they put them forward as the as because they have this great social and talking ability as well to to nice. to front their cause yeah. or their yeah. topic, you know. And they've maintained their passion for it right. into right. age, you know, yeah. into maturity. There's no one more passionate than what Neil deGrasse Tyson. What about the problem with so, um, if you're going back to the school, excelling in one thing, like mm. say maths mm. and uh, science mm. and that kind of thing, that addiction to being re not rewarded but applauded, I guess, sure. the addiction to be applauded, mm. um, I've, I'm afraid that, that mm. Tom will, if he doesn't, if he's just average, 
he'll just go, mm. he'll ignore something, he won't be part of something he's not and that, already good and at. And that may be a He's comp- playing basketball for the first ever time Great. in a team this weekend. Good. And I can't believe it because, I, you know, we keep comparing him to ourselves. Mm. I wouldn't have done that. I would have absolutely just shat myself and I would have gone to any lengths to not do it, not through laziness, through fear of being humiliated. Well, it's I think if, if, you look, if you look at it for him as an adult, as we've just been discussing, the ability to be part of a team, contribute to a team, enjoy the success of a team or the challenge of the team is just as important as being outstanding at mathematics. I mean, they're both important mm. things, aren't they? So getting him into the team is great and then getting him into a sporting context. But then you look at the other areas of life, you know, music, art, creativity and all of that. I try to do. What we did with kids, we channeled them too soon. If you look, if you want to get into... Uh, the future, the world of work and what where the work's going to come from, if artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence will um, knock out most of the jobs that just require knowledge. So anything that based on knowledge you can program into uh, and when you th- if you think also that the capacity of machines to make decisions, judgments and do knowledge based tasks is it's in, in its infancy. Mm. So we're only, I mean, we're only 10 or 20 years into this big technology revolution with its capacity to be able to uh, replace humans and do a better job. So if you think about that, mm. what, hum- what machines can't do is all of the things you just talked about. Machines can't, are not very good at teamwork. Machines are not very good at influence. Machines are not very good at creativity. Machine. And so on. So but this is what's frightening about social decisions. media because mm-hmm. the the things that are going to be most uh, um, needed that AI can't do are going to be all the human things, all the kind of um, intuitive, creative, social things. Mm. But at the same time, social media and stuff is is colonising everything and, and making people less. Uh, savvy with interaction and, mm. you know, it's isolating people. Mm. So we're, we're going in opposite directions. If we want to be saved from the AI revolution, we're going to have to get good again with with interpersonal stuff, right? Sure. Uh, but it's even it, – it's also beyond that as well. So the work I do with organisations around leadership psychology is really about bringing greater humanity to what we do in an age of machines. Mm. So we're going to have – you know, it's – Machines don't care about humanity, but we need humanity to be able to be the thing that is the is the central purpose for collective action. It should make us more human, shouldn't it? It should be well. A good that's thing. what we have to do because machines yeah. aren't going to do that. Isn't but that what, what a machine! If if you wanted, for example, um, if you wanted accurate, consistent, dispassionate judgments in courts. A machine will do that better than a judge. Mm. A machine will do that better than a magistrate if you want consistency. Because in a machine, you can program in every judgment that's been made in this specific case for 200 years. Mm. And the decision that's that all is, lawyers are doing. Pretty yeah, much. Well, exactly. And, and if they miss something, then you. Same with diagnostic medicine. You want a, a, a computer that has seen every single melanoma in the history of that's the right. earth. That's right. Um, rather than someone who's limited experience. You know, with driverless cars, the programming, as a, more of a, a metaphor, I guess, but this is real, yeah. they, <clears throat> they, will, they will calculate the least, the, least, uh, the least amount of deaths. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. In, a, in a situation. Like yeah. It's got a barrel. That, it's going towards a bus stop. Yeah. Nothing I can do. 
or a 18 children have walked across the road, it will choose the mother with the pram. Mm. It just does that without a Well, any, that's a whole emotion. other ethical, mm. interesting thing about how mm. you program that algorithm. Do you well, this kill is, the elderly woman or do you kill the child? Who's right? worth if it's more? Choosing, yeah. Well, yeah. this is the humanity this of the, the whole thing that you have to start looking at. So mm. interesting, when you talked about um, lawyers, as I said, if you want – if you want just the judgment, a machine will do it better. So when we did uh, assessments of emotional intelligence in law firms, the the ones who score highest in emotional intelligence were litigators. Um, so <coughs> why were the litigators scoring high in emotional intelligence? Because what their job was was to influence a jury mm. to go light on the Which person. all emotion. And now a machine would never do that. But what a litigator does is able to try to work on the jury to get the emotion happening for them so they feel sympathy for this poor person and the terrible life they've had and all of those different... So they were very strong in emotional intelligence. They weren't necessarily nice people, but they were very good at reading human emotion. Yeah, and you would only need one machine rather than a prosecutor and a, def- and a defence because mm. the machine would not be caring whether the person's... They yeah. would be both the prosecution and the defence. They would That's go, well, right. in this case, this guy's innocent. In this case, he's not. As opposed to having two groups stepping in to sway the emotions of... Well, the, they'll get rid of juries then. What's well, totally. then Well, you would. You, I mean, well, if, they, I, I, if you were going to rely on the AI to do it. Well, so what's more ethical? <laughs> also, you need better money to hire a better, more emotionally uh, intelligent hmm. uh, litigator. Hmm. So if your if your litigator is not more savvy, hmm. you, you see what I mean. So it's it's sure. unf- it's innately inf- unfair. But do we really want it to be fair? Because it means there's going to be a lot less, you know, black people on death row mm-hmm. who who may have come from lower sort of incomes and couldn't afford a lawyer that was, well, you know what I mean. The machine won't have unconscious biases. Won't have unconscious. But then, hmm. so then, hmm. but it's, but it's odd that that should be a no-brainer. We should immediately say yes, that's what we want. But, but part of us goes, oh shit, do we really want something to just? But that's not the basis of our legal system. Is our legal system is well, it shows uh, that, is it? twelve of your peers. Who make, make a, a judgment? Decision. Oh, well, of course they do, and they make a decision that's based upon the context now. Yeah, well, and true. this is why yeah. you're supposed to not try the person in the town where the offence took place because people have already made up their mind. Or so same be- with a with a limitation in how long since hmm. you know, like if you were to if you were to put someone in on trial from fifty years ago, that you know the slightest. Hmm. It's a different context. Yeah, well, all this stuff, once again, comes back to cars. I had the <laughs> the pleasure of, I was telling you before, I record all sorts of different people in here for different networks, and there was a guy here who is a futurist. So I got to hear some amazing stuff, and yeah. I said to him, I said, you would blow my dad's mind, <laughs> right? And, and, and all this partway through getting to the future, we're never always, we're never there, yeah, right? Yeah. But this midway between AI and no AI hmm. is where the mess comes. Right. Like yep. a jury but no lawyer and all this kind of yep. stuff. And he said people people are afraid of driverless cars because what happens if someone does this? It, and he said, remember, in 2050, he was actually doing a kid's show so he didn't say if hmm. we're still here. <laughs> right. <laughs> in 2050 – It'll be illegal to drive a car. Yeah. 
Because mm. the biggest danger on the road it's the person is driving the, is the pe- is people. Yeah. People people's minds will blow mm. that you, people could have. You could have maybe a couple of beers and mm. be exhausted mm. and work twelve hour shift, and then go out and move two tons of machinery out based on your own skills. That will make people go, "What?" The way I see, um, well, this Rick Doven flying a triplane. And throwing bombs out the side, you know. It'll be the same as the idea of having your GP diagnose, uh, check your your um, tumor or your your strange growth will be insane. That you would let a human being decide oh, yeah. your fate. Oh, it's going to be like, bubo- like we're going to look at it like bleeding it. people for hmm. for the bubonic yeah. plague and putting. So you mean this, on. this one guy? With his limited experience, is going to decide what's. Yeah, it's crazy. well, the computers will will fail in that because they won't be able to go. She'll be right, realizing that you're you know you're a hypochondriac. And the problem with the and then you've got the the problem of the possible self awareness of AI. So if if Skynet once Skynet's up, you, I mean you only get one chance to to set this before if if and when it becomes self aware, and if you don't program it with the right ethics. What? Tell, I've got a question. And we're for not you. great with ethics, human beings, really. Well, we're the only ones that have it, so I suppose well, that's it's hard right. to say that. Qu- right. Question we don't for have Terry. A great track record. I've got a question mm. for Terry. So, the difference between something I've been thinking about quite a bit: the difference between uh, raising kids, which you did mm-hmm. during imminent nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. And raising kids, which we're doing during imminent climate holocaust, mm-hmm. do you, do you see a difference there? Like, is it nuclear thing? If it doesn't happen, we're okay. Like, there was a way out of that, mm. just to not press the button, get rid of Reagan or whatever, you know, whatever the answers mm-hmm. are. What do you think? Do you think it, do you think it's going to be a lot more harrowing now for us because there is no way out? Is there? There's slowing down and all that. Oh, there's a whole bunch of issues, aren't there? Um, they, they used to call it a mutually assured destruction. Mm. Yeah. It was called MAD. That kept us safe, basically. That kept us safe is that it was mutually assured destruction that if you started a nuclear war, the Russians had enough nuclear armament to destroy the world. The Americans yeah. had enough nuclear armament to destroy the world. So there was no one's going to win. So the mutually assured destruction was that principle. So, but it also meant to us that any idiot then who started to press the button, uh, you were going to guarantee a response from the – yeah, so the cloud of all of that. And I remember, you know, the Cuban missile crisis when we thought the world was about close. to end and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. Um, I think um, – so there was that. The first reports on climate came out in the 1960s at the same time. The Club of Rome, uh, it was called the Limits to Growth. So the Limits to Growth came out and said, you know, this is not sustainable for the planet if we're just increasing consumption. So you've got uh, – it, it, the climate change issue didn't just happen last week. No. It's been going for some period of time. but. At the same time as the climate change challenge, you've also got the limits to growth in terms of human population. So which is going to have a a more devastating impact? Is overpopulation 
or is it going to be about, in whatever way it happens, you're faced with a whole range of things. Now, have people got the capacity to be able to innovate and do stuff about it? Well, so far, in the nuclear time, so far with, look, my parents grew up with, but born during the First World War, the Great Depression, the Second World War, it was chaos. I mean, and you look at the people who migrated out from Europe. I mean, the the world was devastated after the Second World War with displaced people uh, all over. So it's been. But you've got this difficult challenge now with what what's what's beginning to happen now is you're having. Countries be getting less important and cities becoming more important. So you've got the rise of the mega cities. So we're going, we're having to, China's taking them out of the fields. If you want to actually bring people up and try to manage your population, you have to, you urbanise them. You bring them into the city. So Melbourne now designed for a million people has got four. We'll be heading towards 10. We'll have to keep on getting more and more people in our cities to be able to... So the population thing is going to be a major issue with regard to all that. And we know the the basis of population increase is the people who can least afford to have large populations are the ones who are having them. And our economic system is based on growth, which means we have to keep producing consumers so that's that's that it can't work well, well that's that's the that's the other Just issue can't. but that's about personal responsibility which is starting to also increase now about is is about taking personal responsibility for the impact the imprint i have on my local community and the planet i can do a little bit about that but if you if you looked at the, the sheer numbers about the whole thing around is that we can we are creating large mega cities that we have to get a greater sense of community taking place in those as well, and Otherwise so it's see- a, so, a sort of social desert, you know, and and, and people people on mass who are isolated and mm. angry mm. and depressed. Mm. Suddenly, so it can be the greatest strength is having all these people working together, or it can be a real nightmare. Yeah, you know what I mean. So we so know Facebook. And we know that if you want to control population, uh, the way to control as people become more affluent, they have less children. So they had ten children. I in thought the you were going to say from the air with helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking about as they become more affluent. So that if you looked at where most of the most of the population growth is happening in what used to be called the third world, so in Africa, you've got uh, cities growing up there. They're expecting ten million, twenty million, thirty million people, large families of unemployed people. So as if you can create the economic growth and development, so Europe is in population decline uh, because they're affluent. They only want to have one kid, two kids, and sometimes not any kids because we'll have a pet, you know, a, a dog. Whereas the, the people who have the least capacity to be able to maintain a social system are the ones having most of the children. So now... Well, that's where the education of women, et cetera, comes into. Well, that's been... Yeah, that's another... Proven the biggest thing you can do for, for overpopulation is educate women. Well, empower women. Empower all, women, all of that yeah. sort of, But, yes, yeah, so, so none of these things happen... In, to answer to your question, none of these things happen in isolation. It's just that these mega trends that are occurring are occurring at the same time now. Uh, and you solve that one, but I didn't realise that that was maintaining that one over there. Yeah. So, for you know, so George Bush goes into Iraq and says, "We'll get rid of this terrible dictator Saddam Hussein," mm. but you didn't realise that that was the what was needed to manage manage 
the the chaos of that society. And they'll yeah. say, oh, well, that's look, that. we do it with nature, with ecosystems. We think, how how complex can this thing be? We take out this element of it, yeah. and it all falls apart. Yeah. It looks serene and oh, and, the and wolves human in that society, Yellowstone. Like, yeah, yeah. They put the take, wolves back, right, and, and suddenly the beavers everything. are back. So, I, so I think it's back yeah. into people. You know, as you get more affluent, so into our cities is the more you can take control over your own impact. Um, we've had an economic model that relies upon consumption in order to grow. How do you create employment? Well, in traditional organisations, you need consumers to buy more stuff and then you need planned <laughs> obsolescence. So we brought out a new TV now, which is a, you know twice the size, or now it's three-dimensional. It half the time. All of that <laughs> stuff, um, and because you, you need people to peep by. Now, that economic model obviously has got limits to what is possible, so we're going to have to find new ways of creating work because we're going to have large percentages of our population that in traditional sense will never have a job. So we already now have generational unemployment, kids being brought up by parents who've never, who, don't, who, who don't go to work. Yeah. So we have to redefine what work is all about as it's not going to a job. It's what you're doing. It's I create my own work through. But, but that's why there's going to be a tipping point with the, 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 inc the, what do you call it, the guaranteed income thing. There'll be a point at which they have to go, well, all right, is this just going to cause such a disruption that we give everyone an income regardless? And There's try a country and get them doing to, that. What country is yeah, that? Yeah, someone, they're, they're yeah. trialling it. Because they know that it's going to be, because it's going to be such a sudden shift. Yeah. I mean, it should, in theory, be a good thing because then people can be flower arrangers and bonsai well, well, experts. Well, but let's, let's, whatever, all, you know, let's, but also, let's also go into the size of the house that you want to live in. Yeah, right. So... Once again, my generation, we bought a house which had two bedrooms a little bit and now – happening. And, and then as you grew or developed, you built the shed out the back and you grew. Yeah. Whereas now people want to have the whole full shebang happening. So we've got movements around the world and social systems about microhouses. So you give person – um, a, a piece of land which is, you know, the size, of, you know, 10 metres by 10, well, probably a little bit bigger than that, but a small house which is a self-contained unit with a garden. Mm. So you can actually, if you have that, you have the capacity to be responsible for your patch. If you then also put some solar stuff into that and some water recycling, you become responsible for what you are taking from the system but also mm -hmm. what you're contributing in. So... Rather than they, whoever the water authorities are, and them, whoever the electrical authorities are, I actually have my little bit, and it doesn't have to be much bigger than a caravan, but they've got smart little mini micro houses mm. now, and you give them some land. So they're doing, we're doing that in lots of areas as well. Instead of just, so you give them, you give people a foundation, That's right. and they can either be happy with that sustaining foundation, or they can grow it if they want. Is this, is this an alternative to the basic income thing or is this a, just a, it's, an addition it's, to It's going side by side with that right. in terms of giving people something they can be proud of that is your little right. piece of, you know, every if, if basic, right, if basic human need is security. Rather than a hostel. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I can give you some security, but I could actually make you proud of it because it's yours. Yeah, and you might absolutely. reduce mental ill, the strain on mental health facilities, blah, blah, blah. So blah. at the same time... Likelihood to go back to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, traditional notions of a job 
is also being replaced rapidly because work as we know it is going to be different. There will be some people who will do what used to be called jobs, Mm. but there are increasingly people doing it for themselves. So you don't need people checking out all those checkout jobs at supermarkets when people do their own packing. You don't need people tellers giving you money when people have their own money or their own transactions. So a lot of the work will be replaced, so we're going to have to find new ways because so much of personal meaning was tied up with your job. Yeah. But if we can make that transition, it should be great. Like if Well, that will help with some of the stuff you're talking about because what we can do is put more of the power in the hands of the individual and say, look, we don't want you to reduce your standard of living but we want you to do it with less impact on the planet. Mm-hmm. So there's, a st- there's stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's, a, there's some guys written a book recently that are, are quite an optimistic view of the future in terms of work mm. and the planet and stuff. And, and he was the thing he was pointing out was that this, for the first time, we're deriving most of our value from um, things that aren't resources Mm -hmm. so we're not it's not all but so in terms of depleting the planet we don't see the effects of that just yet Mm -hmm. but but things are coming now to be just about all the value is being derived from services non Mm. um you know resources things that are going to be depleted so so Mm. that the the so that's good for the planet in the longer term that, that we're not just pulling everything out of the ground and like that stuff's becoming because hmm. you can do so much more with so much less now hmm. to, in terms so of how resources. do we just just to, to to finish up yeah yeah how do we how do we get it how do we balance relying on our children to save the world mm-hmm. with not freaking them out so much they just run into a corner with massive mental health problems oh, well, knowing yeah. that the well, end of the world's yeah. coming but, but Where's the balance there? Well, but I think it's still the old prayer, isn't it? I mean, you can actually control the things that you have control over. You can learn to accept the things you don't have. So, But the, uh, the important thing for kids <laughs> to grow up is before you start pointing the finger at someone else, the starting point is you. Yeah. We had a drought in Melbourne for 10 years when it looked like we were going to run out of water. People took personal responsibility for recycling water and so on. So I think what part of the parenting thing is it's helping kids to grow up to be able to be aware that the, it's a fragile planet, a fragile place. We have to take care of the environment. We need to pick up rubbish. We shouldn't leave it littering around the place. And you make it part of the experience. Look, to get back to my yeah. thing with the trees, it's, right. it's, a, multi, it's a multifaceted thing. It's, it's doing something positive. It's a thing you're sharing together. It's uh, teaching. So, so any of those sorts of things you yeah. can do to try and make them go into the future feeling at least like they have some agency and power even if it's going to be a hectic period, which it undoubtedly will be if they can find... But, you know, there's that thing of uh, uh, James Lovelock saying that the Second World War was the greatest time in a lot of ways. There, he said it was the most optimistic and, and joyful time in a lot of ways. Not totally mm. it was awful, but there was this sense of shared objective, mm. of camaraderie, of community, and some of the... You know, so there's, it's never – like the apocalypse is never just the apocalypse is yeah. what I'm getting yeah. at. I, I think also uh, I, was, uh, I was going to say is that there's a real focus around at the moment uh, across uh, work and life uh, about um, what Viktor Frankl once wrote in his book called Man's Search for Meaning. 
So what people are looking for is um, what is a good life? Well, we've said a good life is to be successful. Now what we're mm. saying, a good life is to have a meaningful life. And the meaningful life is mainly about contribution. It's yeah. mainly about relationships. I mean, what would you rather have, you know, the mega mansion or a great enduring relationship where you actually together, uh, you know, were able to do something for each other, but also for the people you care about. Yeah. So I think that tide is turning. I really feel like it's it's... So that's what I see yeah. around at the moment is people are more questioning is, look, more stuff. We know already that just giving people more money doesn't make them happier. We know that giving them a bigger TV doesn't make them happier. In some way, the more stuff you have, the more neurotic you become, uh, mm. the more anxious you become. So we know that the biggest increase in happiness is when you go from poverty to be able to lead a reasonable life. So I think mm, someone put a figure basic. in Australia about $90,000 a year or something. After that, there's no increase in happiness according to the salary people have. And in mm. fact, some of them live in big houses, lonely lives, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. and so on. But we've so, always been told that. I feel like we're starting to internalise it a bit now. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Does that No, no I'm put the winding yeah, up. So... so I, I, yeah, it's like what you were saying then. I, years ago when I was 19, I had dreadlocks and I worked for a local council in the, one of the lowest jobs and I, there was nowhere to demote me, so I was yeah, able yeah. to be kind of cheeky. Hmm. And I wandered into the, the CEO's office and I went, for fuck's sake, Warwick, <laughs> would you give me some more money? This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and he just said, Derek... It wouldn't make any difference. I'm going, what are you, what are you talking about? I can't pay the rent. So I have to eat lentils. What he an goes, asshole. No, yeah. He goes, right now, you right now you might drink, you know, out of a five-litre cask That's of right. wine, right? I said, well, I didn't want to tell him I was actually drinking leftover wine from council functions. It was quite expensive. <laughs> but, but, and he goes, if I give you more money, you might go onto those posh new two-litre ones. You'll just oh, buy a And if I give you more money, you'll just drink. And either way, you'll have no money at the end of the day. you end up like me, it's drinking true. $50 wine, which is the equivalent yeah. now of $200 wine. That's right. And still going, oh, you can't, I can't the, make. You can't the, give the plebs their own money. They'll just thanks. spend it on drugs. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But you also, tested me. But, but Derek, what about did you try the same thing with the football coach? For God's sake, just give me a go on the team. And the coach would have said? It won't, it won't help. <laughs> it won't help. <laughs> that would be weird because you've never played before. <laughs> Just stay on the bench. All right, boys. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Terry, thank you so much. Some <laughs> fantastic insights there. Thank you so All much. All right. Thanks, Ter. See you later. <laughs> podcast was recorded at Castaway Studios in Collingwood. Here, we provide affordable, accessible, professional podcasting production facilities to the full range of podcasters, all the way from 
basic studio hire right through to full season production packages. You can get us on castawaycollingwood at gmail.com or just look up Castaway Studios on all the social medias. 